Well, hello again, this is Shane, and you are very welcome to Heartlines. Well, I hope you're well, and a very belated Happy New Year to you, wherever you are around the world. Now, on this week's episode, episode 59, and it's the first one of 2022, so it's going to be a good one. I thought, you'd, I thought I'd like to chat with a man about something that with the world, and maybe the last 10 plus years, has become fascinated with, uh, that is cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Please welcome to the show, Dinny Collins. Dinny Collins, well, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, man. Good to be here. Um, looking forward to having a chat and see where we go. Yeah. So, uh, Dinny, where are you from? Where are you from uh, in Ireland? Or are you dub? Donabay Dinny was one of my nicknames. I'm from Donabay. <laughs> Beautiful okay. North County, Dublin. <laughs> it is. The beach. I always go up there. That's, that's one place I go for a nice walk when I, uh, when I go on the north side. When I go to the north side, quite rarely. Although I work on the north side, but not like right in the heart of the north side. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Beaches, Donabay, are beautiful. Um... Yeah, no, Donabate, born and married. Where are you from? I am from South Dublin. I'm from Tala. Okay. You know, Dinny and who the man is. But, like, like, where did it all start? Like, where did your entrepreneurial spirit start? Like, what age were you kind of always kind of, you know, hustling and bustling and look for kind of deals and stuff like that? Um, I, always, I, I don't know if I... Yeah, I suppose I did have an entrepreneurial drive. Like, um, I think m- my goal was certainly to chase money initially, be it right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see my parents struggle for their whole yeah. lives working and never having enough money. Uh, so my goal was obviously, you know, if you want something, you have to try and create it for yourself. Yeah. So I think around by golf courses out in Donabate, as anyone will know if have ever been there. Mm. Uh, I live down near Corbla, so there's literally golf courses surrounding uh, my, my parents' property. And uh, so we used to go out and collect golf balls in the lake at about eight years of age, bought a pair of waders, like, you know, and I used to wear wellies first, and they used to fill up with water. And then when I made a few quid, I invested in waders. So I'd go into the deeper lake and, and get more golf balls. And uh, I used to just wash them, uh, bleach them sometimes. I don't know if you're meant to do that, but get them looking really fresh, sell them back to the golfers. They'd hit them back in the lake. I'd go back in and get them. And that was the business model. And uh, I actually done that business for about five years. And there was, you know, when I think about it back then, there was another man who used to come and it was his, it was his way of living as well. It was his mm. career like, and I'd say it was like, feck it dinny's here like ahead of me you know whoever got there first got the best the best pick of the day <laughs> like and when i think about it like he's trying to be and come provide for his family and there's this kid coming out and running like a steal. <laughs> but uh i oh, know it was all good it was all friendly but i just uh, that, that 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 actually just came to me now um so yeah i had plenty of business before i was uh 18 16. i worked in my dad's business doing steel work up in welding since i was like probably 12 or 13. glass collecting before i was old enough to be a barman and uh, washing dishes at the kitchens and the golf clubs and all that sort of stuff so i've always uh, had uh i suppose an entrepreneurial drive in me i think i don't know mm. why but did you go and study like business in college or was it just kind of, you know, look, looking around and seeing other people and going, you know, being creative and the way you thought about kind of making money in a sense? Yeah, no, I never had any um, college education, I suppose. Uh, okay. School wasn't school wasn't a good time for me. I was uh, I'm, I don't have a good memory and I think school requires you to have a good memory. Um, so it wasn't an area where I excelled. It was sort of the opposite. School sort of conditioned me to think. I was unintelligent and never could do anything in my life. Well, maybe that's been a bit hard. I learned amazing things in school, social skills and all that. But, you know, if you're one of the kids who aren't the smart kids in class, it does Mm. condition you to think, okay, right, well, I won't be getting the good job. I won't be earning the good money. I'll do what I can sort of thing. So they were sort of negative beliefs uh, that I had. My, My training in business just came from, I think what a lot of entrepreneurs do in the early days is, you know, if you've no capital, you just exchange your time. And, you know, you're working for low value. 
mm. um, and you're just making mistakes and learning as you go. And then as you start to generate more uh, capital, then you're able to invest it into your education. And while I haven't done college, I've spent a very significant amount of money on my education from doing internships and workshops and seminars and mentorship programs, you know, throughout yeah. the last 10, 15 years. Talk about, so like, talk about like mentorship programs. Like, so is there certain mentors in your life today that you still kind of like heart back to and kind of keep in touch with? Yeah, pretty much. I'll, I'll, I'll touch on this because I think it's really cool. When I had my, my fitness business, I'd been working for a couple of years, slaving away. I was living in a mobile home, had no money. And uh, it, was, it was tough. And then I seen this course and it was like, learn how to turn your fitness business into a whatever, five, six figure fitness business. Now at the time I was probably earning some weeks, 90 quid, <laughs> you know, it yeah, was yeah, bad, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, a good week, 300. It wasn't a legitimate business and I was working my ass off. And this course anyway was four grand. Might've had four and a half grand in the bank in my personal bank account and my business combined. So it was everything I had to do this. It was a 12 or 16 week course now, I can't remember exactly. So it was a big decision for me. I was like, do I spend everything that I've worked for plus all my personal money on this course, hoping that it's going to get more out of me or do I just keep the money and keep plugging away? I'd done a bit of Tony Robbins training and I was sort of, and I learned a little bit about investing. I came to the decision, right, I'm gonna buy the course. And that was probably one of the best decisions of my life. One, on the, on the superficial level, um, the course did what it was designed to do. I paid all the money I had. So I paid attention. I actioned everything, even though a lot of it was uncomfortable. A lot of it I didn't want to do. It took hard work. You had to be working when your buddies were going out and doing fun things. But it did help me get my business from just this business that was not profitable to, to actually building a legitimate sort of six-figure fitness business over a period of time. Um, and uh, so it was, it was my first lesson in, in investing that if you, can, if you can, now my thing is, if you can spend one euro, get two back well do that every single time in business regardless don't even think about it if you can spend one to get two back do it every time so that was my first uh exposure and the the the, the irony of that course is when i done the course uh, simon was was my mentor and i was like right so how do i sell where's the money coming from because in my early days of entrepreneurship you know i was very money focused and all i wanted to do was make money now thankfully i understand what my dad always knew and we sort of we battled with one because i worked for in my dad's business and my dad was more focused on time. Time is the most precious commodity we have because it's finite. But I was focused on, no, we need to make more money, dad, because, mm. you know, screw this, struggling for money all the time. Uh, but I wasn't there then. But it was my first exposure. We'd done a lot of, with, with Simon's mentorship, we'd done a lot of personal development. I was like, what? I need to meditate for 15 minutes. I'm not paying all the money I have for a bloody course. I want to know how to make the money. Um, but we'd done a lot of, it was my first exposure to personal development. And I suppose how your thoughts impact your decisions, which impact your actions, which impact the life you will live. And uh, that was my first exposure to personal development, the power of it. And yes, we did get into the structural, technical stuff as well, and the ads and all, and sales and all that stuff. But it was my first exposure to, to personal development. And um, although that course cleaned me out at the time, that investment I was able to turn into much greater uh, capital from spending the money. So that was my first sort of mentor. And I still keep in contact with that mentor, Simon, years later, and uh, he's dabbling in crypto now, so I've been giving him a hand with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, that's what I was saying, like, yes, money is, is very important, and of course it makes the world go round, and, and maybe in the future, cryptocurrency might make the world go round, because like, you know, it's, is it ever gonna replace, you know, actual currency? Maybe in some countries, like, you know, like you were showing, I noticed the other day you posted about El Salvador, like these countries like Central America, where maybe their currency is not that strong. So maybe Bitcoin has a chance to slide in there, you know. But like you were saying about, it's not about just money, it's about personal growth. 
I think it is about personal growth because if you can't like mature enough and the money comes in, it's, the money's going to go out quick enough as well because you're just going to piss it away. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know what they say, like pretty much every lotto winner blows it in five years. If you can't manage the money, money just, uh, you know, to me when I was naive to money, money, acceler- mm. m- money, money, money makes your own personal characteristics worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. so if you're a very positive, very generous person, well, money will accelerate that. If you're already, you know, like I would have been in my early days, real, you know, thinking I need to keep this because I don't have enough and, and yeah. that. So it just accelerates that. But, you know, they say that a lot of players go broke within five years because mm-hmm. I suppose they don't have the experience to, to manage the money and, you know, it brings out the bad. You've all these people coming to you wanting to be your friends and everything and all the problems are called. So initially I thought money was this, this would solve all my problems. Yeah. But then the irony is it doesn't. It actually will make your problems worse if you have those problems in the first place, which is really ironic. One thing I've always tried to do once I was able to reach that stage was only work on things that I'm passionate about. Because for me, like every day I consume crypto education mm. and have done for a period of years. And it's not like a chore. It's not something I don't want to do. It's something I enjoy doing. And then you're able to do it with passion and love. And, and then you bring energy when you come to it. So when you work, you know, my job in crypto is just to talk to people and teach people about how Bitcoin works and that. And, and it's fun because I'm passionate about it. So it's not even work. Same with fitness and the fitness business that I built, um, whatever, 13 years ago. I love fitness. I broke my back. So I'm passionate about fitness. Um, and, you know, so t- doing a little workout with someone is like, yeah. what better way can you spend your day? Like, mm. that's at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. If you do your passion, you never work a day on your life sort of thing, you know? So like, it's kind of like that. But a lot of people don't, like end up doing that passion because it's is the passion gonna you know bring in the big books you know that's what that's what they weigh it up it, it's all about you know if i don't if i can't make the money i can do my passion on the side but eventually your passion might fade away because you know you might have kids family depend yeah you know what i mean sure yeah now you talk about bitcoin because i know very little bit of bitcoin i was i was this close to jumping in you know binance and all this but i didn't so tell me about what is bitcoin exactly in layman's terms what is bitcoin lovely <laughs> settle in there for 14 hours <laughs> one of the things about about bitcoin it takes a period of time to understand bitcoin and when people come into crypto and they come into the whole space there's so much in the space it's so big there's so much noise that if you try and understand everything you're just so diluted you're like a headless chicken because there is you know there's so much scams and just pump and dumps and there's all this mm. sort of stuff going on so we'll stick with bitcoin and we'll, i'll just try and maybe break bitcoin down and uh, and even with bitcoin it does take a period of years your understanding of it only grows with time you've a couple of things to understand in bitcoin like you've bitcoin the network and the network has value but i'm not even going to mention the network we could talk for hours about the network the network sum it up uh, our legacy system Cash finality takes three days. Bitcoin's network, you can use it. You can send euros and dollars on it. Cash finality is instant and it's free. Mm. Okay, so that is huge. That's game changing. That's not going away. We have three days versus instantly and for free. Mm. Okay, so the whole system can run on Bitcoin's network. But we'll disregard that. And we won't go down that rabbit hole because uh, people understand, can Bitcoin make me rich and all this stuff? So I'll stick, I'll sort of help you understand uh, some of that. Like people get hung up on Bitcoin calling it a, a currency. I don't really consider it a currency. I know it's a currency in El Salvador or it's a part currency because mm. they, they're dollarized as well. I think if you if you classify it, and this is again a barrier to entry and understanding because it can be uh, and do so many things. I, I think of it more as an asset or a property, you know, a digital property or a battery, a store of energy. 
uh, or digital gold. So a couple of things there, but I'm going to stick with digital gold. We're not going to pack all them because it'd be too much in one go. In one yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. So I like the digital gold narrative. It's a nice, it's a nice gateway to people to help get their head around it if they haven't a clue what the hell this bloody thing is. So gold, I have my little prop here because I figured I'd have to explain Bitcoin and I yeah. like using gold. So this yeah. is a little ounce, an ounce of gold. It's worth about 1,600 euros. So it's worth a hell of a lot of money. Like there's a euro, that's worth one euro. It takes 1,600 of them to get that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're pretty much the same size. Why is that? Well, gold has these timeless uh, characteristics. Gold is durable. There's about two Olympic-sized swimming pools worth of gold mined above ground that we know. And this is part of it. This will just fit in. It wouldn't take up much. Mm. It's only my little coin. Okay, but that's all the gold there is. And it's durable. All the gold we've mined is still here. It never got destroyed. Okay, so it's good and hard. It's portable. I can move it. Okay, but this was one of the problems of gold in that as our world started to get more interconnected for doing goods and services with places far away, it was difficult transporting heavy gold across space. And that's what our paper money, our fiat money solved that problem of. It solved the problem of transporting value across space. But the problem with our fiat money, we'll probably get into that later, is it doesn't transport value across time in that our fiat money or euros. When I say fiat money, I mean euros, dollars, any government money by decree is what fiat means. Um, they lose value over time. Um, and that's a problem. But gold didn't lose value over time. But uh, and money has to be uh, portable. It's got to be divisible. You know, and this is mm. one, ounce, one ounce gold coin, but you can get two ounces, you can get five ounces, you can get 10 ounces. I'd, I'd happily exchange this for 10 ounces. <laughs> but it, it's uh, money has to have divisibility. And money has to have fungibility. Fungibility is just, I've got two euros. I can give you that two, one euro there. And uh, you can buy stuff and I can buy stuff. And we can swap them. We can still buy the same stuff. I don't need this individual one euro. Okay, so it doesn't matter which one you have, they all have the same purchasing power and, and money has to be easily recognizable. So, you know, people know well, this is no one's had me on here. It's not full like gold is recognizable. But if I bring this to a bullion dealer, he'll do, you know, five tests on it. He'll have a microscope out to make sure it's not fool's gold. You know, so money needs yeah. to be easily, easily recognizable. Um, and then one of the one of the most important properties that a money has. And I'm not sort of talking about a currency. Euros are currency. We use currencies day to day. Money, money is slightly different. And although we use the terms interchangeably and I'll use the terms interchangeably, but uh, one of the most important properties of money is that a money has scarcity. And that's why gold has been able to, has been an amazing store of value. For thousands of years, humans have been able to use gold as a store of value. Um, to get your head around that, um, I, I give this analogy. Let's just say your granddad was working back in the start of the 20th century and he worked for $20. Okay. And back then you didn't get $20 for an hour. You didn't get it for a week. You know, it was, you might've been working for a month to get $20, a bit more depending on whatever. It was a lot of work. A lot of your errors went into that to get 20 bucks. And he said, right, what I'll do is I'm going to give this to the Shane lad. Or he wouldn't even know my great, great grandson yeah. in 2020. I'm going to, he, he's going to look, they're going to talk about me forever. And I'm going to stick it in a safe. What I'll do is I'll get my 20, 20 well, I'll say 20 euros. Sorry, I'm dollarized because in Bitcoin, everything and crypto, everything is dollars. So I just, mm. everything is dollars. So apologies if I'm always mentioned dollars and I'm becking Irish man. People go, why is this Irish man dollars? <laughs> uh, you get your 20 euros, okay? And you stick, he sticks it in, in, a, in, a, in a little safe and he locks it. Oh, sorry. And uh, 100, 100, 100 years later, you come out and you open it and you go, your great grand has an amazing present for you here. You're really going to like it. And you open it, you take it to 20 and you go, oh, cool. Can't get a lot for 20 quid. Certainly you can't get the thousands of errors worth that my granddad done for it. But instead, let's say that granddad bought a gold coin with it. So instead of storing the value across time in the fiat currency, he exchanged it for a gold coin. 
and now you get this. See, this stored the value over time, that this is 1,600 euros worth of value in it. Um, and, and that's one of the great things about the scarcity. The supply of gold was only inflating at about you know, 1% to 2% a year, somewhere around 1.5. So it's able to store its value. Just an analogy to get your head around that would be Elon Musk is on about like sending rockets into space and the asteroids have gold in them. So there's two Olympic sized swimming pools above ground at the moment. And my gold coin is worth 1,600. If Elon shoots up a rocket there, the technology advances and he tows back an asteroid and it has two Olympic sized swimming pools of gold in it. Is my coin still worth 1,600? No, the value is diluted now mm. because the supply is doubled. Yeah. So the price of my coin crashes. And you know that's how our fiat currencies lose value over time because they're always being diluted. There's always more being printed and more being created through fractional reserve uh, banking. So I know I'm meant to be talking about Bitcoin. I haven't even <laughs> got there yet. But an easy bridge to get your head, you know, first, before you understand Bitcoin, you have to understand why money and store of value and this sort of stuff. But Bitcoin is dematerialized gold. So that's the physical coin in the physical world. And I can touch it, feel it, hold it, and it, it obeys Newtonian physics. But Bitcoin is a dematerialized version of this. So it doesn't exist in the physical world, but it shares all the properties and characteristics of this physical product. So is Bitcoin durable? Well, it's software. Software doesn't wear out. You know, software can still exist when humans don't exist. Is Bitcoin portable? It's much more portable than gold. If I have a million euros worth in gold, and I'm living in Dublin and I have it in a vault in town and I'm moving to Australia and I want to bring my gold down to a vault down in Sydney. Like I can do it. It'll take weeks. It'll cost tens of thousands. There'll be a heap of paperwork and, and hardship. Right. But like if I have a million euros worth in, in Bitcoin, I can move it to an exchange in Sydney while I'm chatting to you here. It's cost me about two quid. So it's much more portable in this interconnected world that we have that's only going to become more interconnected. Is Bitcoin divisible? Well, I have my gold coin here and if I want to liquidate or sell this coin, I have to bring it into the bullion dealer and sell the whole thing. But what if I only want, what if I only need 50 quid? Well, as a gold investor or holding this money, I can't, I'm stuck with, I have to sell it all. Mm. But if I have 1,600 euros worth of Bitcoin, I can break it up any way I want. I can sell a penny's worth. Each one Bitcoin is divisible to 100 million units called Satoshis, sats. So if you ever hear the expression stacking sats, it just means accumulating Bitcoin or buying Bitcoin because one individual Bitcoin is whatever price it is today. 30,000 euros, 35,000 euros, um, depending on when you're catching this, it goes up and it goes down. Um, so, so Bitcoin is heavily divisible. It's, it's almost infinitely uh, divisible. Does it have fungibility? Well, well, it does have fungibility. Every single Satoshi on the earth, every single Bitcoin on the earth has the same purchasing power. Is it recognizable? Bitcoin's insanely recognizable. I can do trade with this gold coin. I would struggle to do trade with someone on the street with it because they wouldn't believe me that it's real gold and they wouldn't have all the microscopes to check or I wouldn't believe them. You know, we'd struggle. But in Bitcoin terms, I can do, I can exchange goods and services anyone, anywhere in the world that I don't know and I don't trust. I don't need to trust them without any third party in the middle. And the reason I can do that is Bitcoin's network is the largest supercomputer in the world. It's 200 million times more powerful than the second largest supercomputer in the world. Okay, so it's an insanely powerful computer network. It's 2 million times more powerful than the top 500 supercomputers all networked together. So this is the largest supercomputer in the world. If this largest supercomputer in the world accepts a Bitcoin transaction, well, it's verified true Bitcoin. There could be no back charge. The Bitcoin can't be taken out of my wallet and go, ah, sorry about that. It wasn't actual Bitcoin there. Your man was having us on. You know, so it allows strangers to do, to do commerce with each other. And then the last characteristic, which was the first characteristic that I learned about, about Bitcoin is it's scarcity. Because scarcity is where value of anything comes from. 
and Bitcoin has improved on the gold's timeless characteristic, most important characteristic of gold, among the other things. It needs other things, like other things on the earth are scarce, but you need the other properties plus scarcity. Bitcoin is finite, so it's actually improved on gold's amazing, timeless, thousands of years characteristics. And that means that there's only 21 million Bitcoin. Now, that's interesting. Because even though gold is finite, we can still mine more. Like I said, humans are clever. We get smarter. Who knows? Technology could get better. And we could shoot up to, um, up to an asteroid and pull back some gold. Uh, or we could just get better at mining gold. And suddenly we're able to mine 10% more gold per year. Well, now that gold is a serious inflation rate and means my store of value, I'm losing store of value if I'm holding it in gold. But in Bitcoin terms, it's 21 million fixed supply. That was the first thing I learned about Bitcoin. It really got me interested. I was like, okay, there's only 21 million. That's interesting. Can humans create more? Can humans change that? No, they can't. It's beyond, it's beyond human control. Now, I'm very interested in this thing because that allows it to retain its purchasing uh, power over, over time. Ho is that okay so far? Because I'm going to have to explain why I'm going to have to get into dematerialization now. I'm not finished yet. I need another minute or two or three. So so what I'm taking from it is it's kind of like a digital Fort Knox in a sense, but it has, it has a, it has a finite uh, amount of resources, but with, compared to Bitcoin, Bitcoin won't cost as much to transfer, whereas gold will cost because it's heavy and it's going to cost a lot more to, to, to transport it all over the world. Yeah. It's not feasible in today's day and age. That's why we went off the gold standard, but we're only on the fiat standard 50 years. And you know, I'd argue it's a failed experiment. It is a failed experiment. We've had rampant inflation. My father built a house for 30,000. Uh, I know they weren't euros at the time, but now a house is half a million or more. Uh, we sh houses should be cheaper. If you actually, I've always been, I just think simply, and I just think like yeah. technology is better. It should be cheaper to build one today, unless what's happened that house is half a million today and it was 30 grand, but the money has lost its purchasing power. The money has been debased. The store of value, the money has not stored value across, across time, it's diluted value. So that means it's destroyed wealth. So that means it's a poor store of energy. So that's not good in a world where we're, we're trying to not destroy the earth. Now I'm going on a tangent here. I want to get back to, oh, to the, back. The, the, I want to get back to um, the, the, the dematerialization. Okay. So if Bitcoin is dematerialized gold, that's the physical coin that exists in the physical world. What else in our world has dematerialized? So I just have me. I give a couple examples. I like the CD because everyone understands that and we've lived through that. So there's a physical product like a gold coin. It exists in the real world. Okay. And I had a disc man and I used to buy me Oasis album or whatever it was, a go jogging on the hip, the thing would be skipping and I'd have to buy the same album again. Okay. And I had 12 songs and it cost me about 12 quid or something. But like these are dematerialized now. We don't use CDs. You don't really make CDs anymore. The majority of the world use software instead. You know, we use Spotify. Why do we use it? Because it's order of magnitude better. It's not just the same, it's orders of magnitude better. For the same amount of money, I get to listen to any song in the world that I want to. But I don't need this specific device. I can use it on all my devices. In fact, mm. I can access my music anywhere in the world on anyone's device. So it's orders of magnitude better and it's way cheaper. And that's why this was dematerialized, gone. We don't use it anymore. Another example, I used to have a filing cabinet behind me. It didn't look as nice when I was doing my Zoom, so it's over there now, but it's a big ugly thing. <laughs> and, uh, but like, it has to sit in my, in my home office. I only have access to my files if I'm at home. It takes up space. If it gets filled, I have to buy another one and stick it in my house. But like, I don't, I put my car insurance in it pretty much every year. And that's about it. I don't know why I have it. I use the cloud, dematerialized version of a filing cabinet. I use the cloud because if I run out of storage, I just buy more. It's way cheaper than buying a filing cabinet. I have access to anywhere in the world. 
I can hold more than just sheets of paper in it. I can hold photographs, videos, audios, Excels, you know, I can, I can tweak them, I can work on them. It's just orders of magnitude better. And that's why filing cabinets have been dematerialized. If your business model is we make filing cabinets, well, but business is bad and it's looking like getting worse as, as the years go on. Uh, look at what we're doing here today. We've dematerialized an in-person podcast. You, we, we've dematerialized a building. You know, we've dematerialized me having to travel, you know, and so our world is being dematerialized. Anyone can have a look at their mobile phone. It's just full of apps, applications, all the air software. And, and my narrative of gold, like, that Bitcoin I'd like to explain, Bitcoin is a dematerialized version of this. It's all loads of other stuff that we, I probably won't go into today because I think we've enough to, to, to start with Bitcoin as dematerialized gold. Now, the second question that we have to come to then, okay, if you accept that and you're like, right, okay, I'm following along, I'm happy with that. The question is then, does something digital have value? And that's the hurdle that can or can't you understand Bitcoin and want to store some of your monetary energy uh, in Bitcoin? And a couple of things to help people with that. One, I'd say, ask your children. Christmas is gone and kids or nephews or grandkids, whatever. Some of them got software for Christmas. They got skins and computer games. They got a gun and a computer game. Like rationalize, dig down. What did they, what did they ask for? What did they see value in? They saw value in ones and zeros on a computer screen, a load of code. Does not exist in the physical world in any way, shape or form. But in their rationalization, their understanding of the world that they live in and are growing up in, this digital thing is more important than them getting a physical bicycle. And now I want the digital instead. So the world behind us already instinctively understands digital value. I understand digital value. People new exposed to it, it'll take a, a little bit of time to, can you understand that something digital has value? I'll give a second underst- a little analogy that I think might help. Peter Schiff is a massive gold bug. So he understands sound money, but he can't get Bitcoin. I call it old man thinking. You know, m- my dad can't get Bitcoin and it's okay. Mm. He doesn't even have a Facebook account. He never, he calls it the Googles. He's like, tell them nothing. <laughs> they know enough and he's yeah. probably right. Yeah, yeah, but he's, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's, a, he's a man that lives happily in the physical world and has never lived in the digital world. So he'll never understand that and that's okay. But this Peter Schiff, gold investor, can't understand Bitcoin, that's okay. But he has a son called Spencer Schiff and both of them are sound money people, but Spencer is a massive Bitcoin bull. And that just means he's a big proponent of Bitcoin. Now, Peter will die, unfortunately, this is life. Peter will pass away and his son, Spencer, who's the Bitcoiner, will inherit his wealth. You know, it, it, this is how it works. He will inherit his wealth. He doesn't see any value in storing it in old rock. He sees all, he stores all his wealth in Bitcoin. So although Peter might want it, his gold will be sold eventually when he passes into Bitcoin. So that's interesting. It's not, you know, I'm an investor. So investors, we, we invest into the world we see coming or we invest into the future, not the present. Like if you're investing in the present, you're late. You want to be ahead of the trends that, you know, so you're sort of, you're, you're moving before the herd, I suppose. So that's how we, how we go with that. And then my last example is the story of Blockbuster and Netflix, I like to tell. You know, mo- most of our listeners, unless they're very young, will have heard of Blockbuster. Yeah. Uh, Blockbuster had a monopoly. Uh, on the on the whole media entertainment business and um, supply and they were a huge huge company and um and they had a business in the physical world where they had physical stores and they had physical staff and they had physical product and then netflix was this startup with an idea to dematerialize all that and they actually went to blockbuster and they said you know can we have funding can we have partnership can we work with you and blockbuster were like tell us your business plan there'll be no boxes for people to take home There'll be no stores. They can't even hold their DVDs. They can't loan them to their parents, their friends. They can't sit them on their, in their presses under their telly. There's no value in that, something digital. Don't be silly. But the irony is 
we can fast forward now and see if that story did play out. It took a couple of years, but Blockbuster went bankrupt, bankruptcy, mm. and Netflix, Netflix, I suppose, totally demonetized them and didn't just become the same size as Blockbuster because their product is orders of magnitude, a software product is orders of magnitude better. So they, Netflix is now one of the largest companies in, in the world. And I just think it was, uh, the way I explain it, and I hope I'm not being hard, but it's like old man thinking was, 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 was Blockbuster. They couldn't think of the future, only the present. And Netflix were thinking of, they were like thinking of digital value. They're thinking like kids, like the generations that are coming behind us already un understand. And, and that's one of the, the narratives I say when, you know, just we, we won't too much go into uh, Bitcoin's price because I'm, I'm sure you've other stuff where we can. But like at the moment, Bitcoin is under a trillion. And it's order, in, in my investment thesis, it's orders of magnitude better than this physical product. And gold is 10 trillion. So when people say they're too late to Bitcoin, I don't think they understand. We look at Bitcoin's price go up and down and volatility, and it's like, welcome to crypto. Bitcoin does this all the time. All the time, baby. Okay, but have the fundamentals changed? No. Has the code broke? No. Okay, so it's half price. I'm a buyer. <laughs> you know, if you want it at 60, why don't you want it at 30? If, if you see some a handbag or a jacket or a car you want to buy, and it's like, it's half price. It's like, oh, no way. I was going to buy it. It's half price. Give me two, actually. <laughs> But I think I think a lot of people do have that kind of thinking of a lot of people and some people are more skeptical, skeptical than others. Like I'd have a skepticism in a sense because, well, I, I've just come up with a, a little little tagline here. OK, so sometimes it can be trust, tangibility and technicality. And if you're not technically like you say, they said, like your dad, my dad, they're not technically minded. Facebook, my, like my dad's way of, um, you know, keeping away from you know technology he'll put the phone out on the on the mantle and he won't look at it that's his way of just distracting us. and well me i can't get off this phone man i'm addicted to this phone and it's 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 just the way it is i'm that generation but i'm not the generation what's the generation after millennials the z G, G, gen z these guys are, are are clued in these guys are probably well in the bitcoin and well in the cryptocurrency uh, uh sphere you know what i mean so the, the, they've never that? climbed a tree <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe i don't know <laughs> but you know what i mean like it is it is a trust and and we're so used as you say that fiat currency you know the, the tangibility of it all you know you, you, you like you wouldn't like to you, well, you, well you will hear that in the future where your granddad or, or you will give a digital present to somebody versus give someone like something like a book and they go Oh, the smell of the new book, you know, kind of things. People are, are yeah. moving into the digital kind of world. It's just about get, accepting that and understanding that is the new norm. Because back in the 90s, like the internet's only around since what, 1990 or so? We, we yeah. all remember dial up and attaching wires and watching the fucking picture kind of stream onto the screen. You know, that was the magic of that. Just the whole, our world, our minds were blown. Now everything is just fucking, sorry. Why am I swearing? I don't care. Anyway. So, <laughs> everyone is just like, this little phone here is like a little supercomputer, you know? Yeah. It's, Mad. it's, it's, and with the internet, like, internet came out in the 90s. Yeah. I didn't get the internet in my house till 2000, 2001 or two or three. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. You know, it was 10 years. Mm. So Bitcoin is out 13 years. The 10 yeah. years is up. People yeah. are starting to dabble. But then, how did it get adopted throughout the world? You know, it started to grow then at 60% a year, and then it sort of saturated the world then in the next decade. So Bitcoin is into its second decade. You know, when, in my investment thesis, we go to 90% worldwide saturation with this, these crypto assets and this digital value. So the early stage is the rocky road when no one gets it, and that's fine. Like, 
internet went through that all early stage technologies go through that and they go through this extreme volatility and um, it's just, it's just part of them but it's also a form of gambling if i think about it like like mm-hmm. ireland you know i mean you know like you know if, if ain't your race so on i'll put a few bets on to, you know over the leper sound i was gonna go to races over i usually go to christmas races couldn't go so i sat in a pub put a few bets on and won a few bob lost a few bob you know it's a form of gambling so how would you how would you balance that up versus again it could be a traditional mindset of you know gambling versus stocks and shares or investing where you're kind of like penny stocks and you're hedging your bets how would you how would you how would you balance that one out how would you kind of make people think go Bitcoin versus going to, you know, a FTSE 100 kind of, uh, yeah. Um, I, I, there's a lot to unpackage there. A gambling, everyone is forced to gamble. Everyone is forced to speculate. Everyone is forced to invest. If you're mm. not, you're going to struggle for all of your life because we've had yeah. monetary inflation all my life at the moment. Our, our, our inflation is the highest level in 40 years. So it's the highest in my lifetime. Okay. Who are the people who can solve the problem? Well, they're all dead because it was 40 years ago that they had the experience and they solved the problem. Mm. So, you know, just, you know, understand that this, this might be worth paying attention to. And no one in Ireland is paying attention to it. As Bitcoiners, we understand the monetary policy. We understand currency debasements. And that's how we understood this inflation was coming in 2000. In June 2020, I was teaching everyone I could prepare yourself for monetary inflation, prepare, mm. get into store values. Talking heads have only literally dabbled a tiny little bit about it in the last month or two or three. We're forced to speculate. Why are we forced to speculate? Well, because if I save and I exchange my time for money and every day I go to my job and I get my money and I get my paycheck and I put it in the bank and I'm building up my money. Well, that's like trying to fill a bucket full of water. Financial freedom is is the goal, I think, for everyone so that you don't have to work anymore. It's a choice. If you want to work, you can work, but you don't have to. So we're trying to fill a bucket full of water and every day we go exchange our time to get some water. Okay, and when the bucket reaches the top, that's financial freedom, baby. <laughs> <All right? laughs> yeah, yeah. But the irony is there's a massive hole in the bottom and the water's draining out mm. and you're putting water in, water in, and it's draining out. It, like when I think about it, when I done that and I did that for a period of my life as an entrepreneur, it was insanity. It was like, why didn't I understand this money thing and how much I was working against the system rather than leveraging the system? You know, my misunderstanding of it was meaning I was exchanging much more of my time and I wasn't getting the value because my time was being diluted constantly. At the time that I exchanged two years ago, it was worth way less than the error that I exchanged to get that money. Okay. So because our fiat money loses value over time, we're forced to speculate. Okay. And that means we're forced to take risk because investing is risk. Mm. So by not, not taking any risk, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm, I might have a higher risk tolerance than most people. I don't think I do. I've road raced and I've lived to tell the tale. I've done a lot of dangerous things. So I think I'm a good risk manager. Um, but I think it's more risky not to invest. I think kids should be made invest because the only way to learn how to invest is to go and do it and make mistakes. So by a kid starting investing, you know, with 5% of their communion money, what are they going to do? Leave it in the bank or buy a game of it. And if they lose it, happy days, they're learning, but they're understanding how to manage their money at an early stage. And then when they get their twenties or thirties, they're actually, they've a decade of money management and they're actually managing a larger portfolio, you know? So I think, Obviously, school, investing should be taught. There's no financial education in school. The basics of tax and finance should be taught in school. Why? You, you know, you could go down the conspiracy rabbit hole of why none of that stuff is taught in school. I won't. <laughs> but uh, so that's, we're all forced to speculate. Okay. If we, if we just save in our money, our currency, our euro, we get screwed over time. You know, 10 years ago. Inflation. What can you buy? Yeah. It just, money goes down okay. over, over, over yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. So we're forced to speculate. You compare. So if we're forced to do it, Let's just say this, I was watching the football there and it's just 
people are like bombarded with gambling, as you say. Lotto. Mm. Irish people mm. buy the lotto. They were fucking losing their shit over it when yeah, it was that whatever. And they were buying it. And I was just like, ah, this is like how just you give away your money every week. Like your chances of having returns in the stock market, in Bitcoin, and buying anything. You, you've got such a good chance. You buy the lotto, it's like 10 million to one. Why you just, you might as well put the money in the fire. But that's okay, yeah. that's legal and we're socially conditioned. Yeah, we all buy the lotto. So I think it's social conditioning is the problem. And I've always been one that I always question narratives. And if anything is social conditioned, well, that gets my back when I go, I need to explore this for myself. Is this really risky? Is it really? As opposed to let's go to the bookies and gamble on horses and Every time you see a football match, there's a Paddy Berger, uh, all these gambling companies uh, advertising. And again, people who are struggling financially or aren't financially free, wasting their money on this, get rich quickly. That, uh. That's gambling. Investing isn't gambling. Every billionaire in the world, the, the only way a billionaire became a billionaire is because they invested. There's no other way. The only way a multimillionaire became a multimillionaire. And most people, you know, we all are financially driven. We want to be multimillionaires. We want to be billionaires is investing. So there's no other way to get there. You're guaranteed to work till you die if you don't. That to me is, is more risky. So I'll unpackage that. Then I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, I'll address your question. I'll adopt the tangent there, <laughs> but I'll address the actual question. Should you invest in equities, stocks and shares, or mm -hmm. should you invest in cryptos? Yeah. Well, the correct answer is you should invest in both because you, you should be diversified. Now I'm a crypto bull, so I have more exposure to the crypto markets because I understand them. And I'm happy to have more exposure. And I see them as what's called an asymmetric bet. An asymmetric bet is when there's much more upside than there is downside. So that means it's a bet that you should take. It's like, okay, I've potential to increase my portfolio or my Bitcoin exposure by 500%, 1000%, 10,000. No one knows. Right. Like, what's your time frame? Keep zooming out and that thing keeps going parabolic. So it's hugely asymmetric and your loss is 100%. Let's say that's absolute worst case scenario. So you've like, I don't think Bitcoin's going to zero. Most of the smartest money managers in the world don't think Bitcoin's going to zero. A country doesn't think it, but you know, we'll talk worst case scenario, 100%. So you have 100% loss for upside of 1000%. You know, that's asymmetry. That's a bet that you should, you know, in my investment thesis as an investor who likes to manage his risk and have exposure to upside, I want exposure to asymmetry. You're always trying to find the alpha. Okay, so the correct answer is you should uh, you should be diversified. However, if people are coming in and they haven't a clue where to start and they don't understand equities or precious metals or real estate, I like crypto. And the reason I like it for normal, normal people, okay, couple of reasons. One, because it's so asymmetric, you don't need much exposure, okay? So you don't have to be, like the way investing is, you work at the end of the month, let's say you have a thousand quid, you've paid all your bills and you normally just pop that in the bank, and it's just bleeding out every day, it's buying less, or every week, every year, it's buying less and less with inflation. And we don't notice this, we just notice, Jenny, my car insurance has gone up. Jenny, the electricity has gone up. Jeez, gas is going up 200%, what's going on? Petrol is an awful price now. Um, you know, Jenny, houses, they're going up 30%. We, we just see all the goods and services being more expensive. What's happening is your unit of account, your euro is worth less, so it takes more of them. And different commodities, different assets, you know, go up at different, different rates. It doesn't all rise evenly. And that's how we don't really notice that it's the monetary expansion that, that's debasing our currency. Okay, so your thousand euro, you put it in the bank, you decide, all right, this Bitcoin thing, maybe I'll buy 1%. So of my thousand quid that I'm saving mm. in my euros, I don't know, again, me being a heavily dyslexic, is it a tenner? Is it a tenner 1% of a thousand? <laughs> it is, it is, it is. I buy a tenner's worth of Bitcoin. Now you're an investor. Now you're holding two assets. You're holding cash, which, you know, you could argue it's an asset in one instance, a liability in another because it's losing value over time. 
But now you're investing in two asset classes. You have exposure. You're starting to learn. Your money is in an asset class, a volatile asset class, yes. But because of the asymmetry, you don't need to get all your wages. You don't need to work and, and sell your car and put it in Bitcoin and take all this high risks to get rich quick. If you do the work on it and you look at the fundamentals and you look at the money managers who came to the same conclusion that I have, that this, thing, this asset is worth holding and have some exposure to, well, just have a little bit of exposure to it. The great thing I love about crypto is in my early days of entrepreneurship, I read books on, you know, uh, I've said I was very motivated by money um, in my early days. I, I'm not now. I'm motivated by time and doing things I enjoy. In my early days when I wanted money, I had my business, I had my few bob. I'd read a lot of books about finance and I knew I had to become an investor, but I didn't have massive capital at the end of the month. I had 30 quid, 40 quid at the end of the month. And I was like, I can invest that. The rest I need to invest into the business and all this other stuff. I'm still living in a mobile home. And I rang up financial advisors, Malahide, you know, local ones sort of stuff. Yeah. And like, I was ignorant. I was just a young kid. And, but I knew I had to start investing. So I rang them up like, yeah, 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 yeah. 30 quid. And like, in fairness to them, they don't have a product for someone with 30 quid. And I was really embarrassed when they were like, you know, ideally we'd want about three grand a month, uh, Dinny, yeah. 30 quid. And I really felt embarrassed and, and small and like you're fucking poor person. I'm a poor person. I can't even get into this investing market. Mm. That's what I love about crypto. Okay. Because there's not a barrier to entry that you already have to have wealth behind you. You can start investing in crypto with a euro a week, with a fiver a month. So the yeah. game is the same for everyone. It opens it up. It's, it's not like that you already need to be wealthy. Same in property. You know, if you want to be, there's great money to be made in property, but you already need to have capital behind you. So for the normal person, they're ruled out of property. You know, they can be ruled out of a lot of stuff, but Bitcoin has broken this barrier down and made it the same for everyone. And obviously, if you come into crypto and you're a bad investor and you invest with greed and emotion and what your friend says, as opposed to sound fundamentals and listening to millionaires and billionaires, well, you'll probably lose your money. But if you're a good investor, you will create money and you can start creating something out of nothing. So it's an amazing opportunity. That's why I'm passionate about it. And apologies that that totally dropped out of my head. I'm crazy. <laughs> and I'd say one reason why people are more inclined to keep their money in banks is because banks, now I don't know too much about Bitcoin, but banks are regulated. Banks, you know, you know, you would never lose all your money with banks. And you say you never lose all your money with Bitcoin. But again, if you, if you, if you invest in the right people, you get the right advice like yourself, you have a better chance of, making money or not losing, losing your arse. You know what I mean? Yeah. We can touch on that for a second. You can have all your money in the bank. A lot of these money managers don't have all their money in the bank. Just normal people, regular people have all their money in the bank. Yeah. But investors don't, wealthy people don't, rich people don't, millionaires don't, billionaires don't. Okay. So again, break that down. Does an investor, Bill Miller's name is 50% of his personal wealth in Bitcoin. And we'll break that down for a second. Cause who is this guy? Cause my friend said Bitcoin, is risky or Bitcoin is going down or going to be banned. I hear this all the time. And I'm like, is your friend a multimillionaire? Are they a billionaire? Okay, well, have to crack with them, but maybe don't take financial advice from them. I'd more be inclined to have a look at what Bill Miller is doing. Okay. Or Stan Druckenmiller or Paul Shooter Jones or Ray Dalio or Raul Powell. But Bill Miller is 50% exposed exposure to Bitcoin. So he sees it as being risky to carry 50% of his wealth in a bank. And why is that? A lot of wealthy people buy treasuries. They want money outside the system. In 2008, we had the great financial crisis. I'm trying to not go too mad because then I'll need more time. But like we have two systems. Yeah. We have Bitcoin and we have euros, we'll just say. Okay. We have two systems being built. Bitcoin is built on collateral. Mm. Euros are built on debt. That's, you know, so it's, it's a system built on debt, on debt, on debt. So that just means if one thing fails, everything can fail. The whole thing can fall apart. In 2020, 
when we had the start of the pandemic, well, everything crashed, okay? And government spun up money printers. Why did they do that? Because the whole system built on debt relies on the system surviving. So they had to create money out of fresh air to bail out companies, to bail out everyone, to stop the thing fall. Like in 2008, the whole thing nearly fell apart. They bailed out the bank so the whole system wouldn't fall apart. Yeah. And it wouldn't be, they need armies on the street, okay? In, 2000, in, in 2008, they bailed it out. In 2000, they bailed it out. They printed trillions. American money supply was expanded by 50% from the start of the pandemic to today. 50%, like that's, wait till you see the inflation that causes. All right, how does this other Bitcoin system survive this crash? What happened? Did they need to print more Bitcoin? Was there bailouts? Did it need government intervention? No, the system just equalized it, leveled. Anyone was overexposed and leveraged, greedy, you know, had bad positions, probably was liquidated. Anyone who was underexposed and, and just happy to using the network was fine. They took a hit, it recovered, but it didn't require intervention versus our existing system seems to require intervention. What happens if the intervention doesn't work one time? You know, in Cyprus or, or Turkey, it's fallen apart. Like you see, Turkey is a fairly all right place, but it's fallen apart there fairly rapidly. Their currency is, mm. has fallen apart and it's carnage. Civilization falls apart when the currency falls apart. Um, in, in Cyprus, no one thought, or was it Cyprus or Greece where they bailed in? They bailed in, the, you know, the government had to bail in to save the system and they literally extracted everyone's money out of the bank if they had over a hundred grand. Uh, you know, no, they didn't give them warning and say, lads, by the way, sorry, there's some stuff going on in the background here. We might just need to take some money from you. Yeah. This is why the millionaires and billionaires don't expose themselves 100% to the backing system because they see that as risk. Although we're socially conditioned to see it not as risk. Now, I'm not condoning that anyone go and convert their euros 100% to Bitcoin because that's not good risk management. Mm. But I'm just saying, challenge the norms <laughs> that were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's why these guys they're more. You said you're not you, you're not more risk. Uh more of a risk, risk taker than a normal person i think you are i think reading your story you were a bit more risk like i've not i don't i don't uh you know drive motocross bikes and i haven't put my back out and i don't want i don't want to feel that pain man because i'd say it was quite <laughs> a lot of pain but also they are they, they do think outside the box they're not about they don't, they don't just see black and white they see the, the middle the gray the gray area they kind of they kind of go okay let's question things you know well, here's the thing I ask you, okay? Just talk briefly, 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 uh, sorry, briefly about the blockchain because that's where <laughs> the, all your Bitcoin has been stored. And where are these blockchains? All over the world? Yeah. People get obsessed with, with, with blockchain. And blockchain technology is essentially what Bitcoin is, okay? Mm. And then we've got 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, who knows? More yeah. cryptos and blockchains. Um, now, I'm not a Bitcoin, there's a term Bitcoin maximalism maximalist and some people say this guy's a bitcoin maxi and they sort of will let that be a barrier to entry so mm. um i'll just break that down i'm not a bitcoin maxi because i invest into loads of cryptocurrencies and i hold loads of other cryptocurrencies the reason i like to try and teach people about bitcoin is to save them okay when people come in and they see bitcoin whatever price it is and they go ah bitcoin's too expensive but this one's a penny i'll buy this instead the next bitcoin bitcoin is totally different than every other crypto asset Okay, none of them can ever be Bitcoin or do what Bitcoin has done. It was like the immaculate conception, the way it was born and grown. Now, it took me a period of years to come to that conclusion. Initially, you come in, you learn about Bitcoin, it's cool. You learn about other stuff, it's cool. You start seeing other stuff. You get shielded other stuff. You think, ah, yeah, Bitcoin's a bit old technology, the block size. It's not about Bitcoin. And eventually, I think most people end up getting spat up going, okay, it's Bitcoin, not blockchain, is what's important. In 2016, banks were like, it's all about blockchain technology, the mind that Bitcoin thing, and they fuddle it as much as they can. 
and they, and they tried to create their own things around blockchain and they all failed and now you know the largest bank in australia commonwealth bank is going to custody and sell bitcoin to their clients to six and a half million clients german banks are going to custody and sell bitcoin to their clients so they're going all right it's not about blockchain well maybe it's about blockchain to some degree but bitcoin is very important and we can't disregard this thing because we need to pay attention same in america same in brazil same in Mexico, Argentina, you know, all these legacy banks haven't heard it in Ireland yet. We'll probably be, it'll take us a while. We're always a little bit slower, but, but the banks are jumping on this Bitcoin thing. Mm. But what Bitcoin is, it is blockchain technology, but you will hear that word shilled around uh, to distract retail people who don't know any better to go and put their word in this great blockchain. And, uh, and you know, most times they will lose their money. The reason I like people to learn about Bitcoin is Bitcoin rewards the patient. If you own some Bitcoin and you're prepared just to, hold the Bitcoin for a period of time, like nobody has ever lost money by holding Bitcoin for four years. They have only increased their purchasing power considerably. You know, so Bitcoin rewards the patient. I think of it, or I teach people, and I, in my investment thesis, it's a savings vehicle, okay? Yeah. But you ask me on blockchain, so we'll address blockchain. And of course I'll address it, <laughs> speaking in Bitcoin terms. <laughs> Bitcoin, well, Bitcoin was the first blockchain. Um, so what a blockchain is, Bitcoin is essentially a ledger. It's to allow a ledger to operate without a third party. So what Bitcoin allows us to do is cash transactions in the digital world, okay? So in real life, in the physical world, if you were here in my home office, I could hand you that euro and that's a cash transaction. Transaction, there was no middleman needed. It's finality. You have the one euro, I don't have the one euro. But in the digital world, pre-Bitcoin, that couldn't happen. We could do digital commerce on fiat rails and we had an intermediary in the middle, be it uh, PayPal or eBay or our traditional banking system, you know, but we yeah. had a middleman. Yeah. So that creates a lot of fees. Yeah, it creates a lot of fees and a lot of time. Mm. So Bitcoin has allowed us to do cash transactions in the digital world. And how it achieves that is with this technology called a blockchain. A blockchain is a ledger. So let's just say if you bank with AID Bank, they have a ledger. Dinny owns this, he spent this, he's bought this, this is bank balance. It's a ledger. If we study the history of money, humans have always used ledgers. There's caves, thousands and thousands of years old, and there's ledgers written on them of who owns what. Yeah. So ledgers are part of humanity. Bitcoin's blockchain is basically where Bitcoin's ledger is stored. So the ledger is who owns what. If I own point 0.1 of a Bitcoin and you own point 0.1 of a Bitcoin, well, that's stored on the ledger. And let's say Bitcoin's blockchain works that every 10 minutes, a new block is created. It's around every 10 minutes. So let's say I send my point 0.1 Bitcoin uh, to you, Shane, now, I have, I have no Bitcoin, which is a bad idea for me. I'm an O-Coiner. And uh, you have 0.2 Bitcoin, which is great for you. I hope you keep them for a very long time. But the ledger then updates. That transaction goes into that 10-minute block. So imagine every 10 minutes is a block, okay? So my transaction, sending it to you, goes into that 10-minute block. Now, every single block in Bitcoin's history, since it started, are all behind that. In another 10 minutes, there'll be another block of transactions that's added to this blockchain. So this blockchain is like, you know, one of the narratives. Mainstream media have kept people poor for 13 years because they've always footed Bitcoin, fear and certainty and doubt, convinced normal people why they shouldn't own Bitcoin, as opposed to if normal people just looked at it. 13 years ago today, it's just going that direction. It hasn't stopped in 13 years. Yeah. But mainstream media will peddle the narrative that Bitcoin is great for, for crime. And you know, you know, that could be true for petty crime, but mm. like banks, banks pay hundreds of millions every year in fines for laundering money. All right. So just, you know, again, social conditioning, see yeah. what your trusted entity does. Okay. This is, this is just fact. Google it. How many million do, does, do banks pay every year? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But blockchain technology, is it good for crime? Well, every transaction that ever happened on the Bitcoin network is there forever. 
for anyone to go and check and nobody can change it. So it's not very good. You can't foot the accounting. You can't wind back the books and change it a little bit like we can in our other system. Um, so this is the blockchain. It's, it's a history of transactions and every 10 minutes there's another sort of block added to it. When it comes to, because I know you did mention the technical yeah. earlier as a barrier. And uh, we, we can go through all three of those things. I can't remember them, but I know the technical was one. Mm. So I'll just break, I'll just give you the Dini rationale. My, my, my rationale and everything is make it simple. And if I need to worry about it, I'll worry about it. Like, like my dad always said, you know, you'll die if you worry and you'll die if you don't. So, you know, try not to worry about stuff unless it's in front of you. Um, my rationale of everything is just like to try and if I don't really need to worry about it, I'm not interested in it. I Because I only have so much time and time is finite. So I have to spend my time on things I can get my biggest return on. My time is my most precious thing. And, and I'll give you the analogy. People get hung up. How does Bitcoin work? That's like 15 years ago in, in, in 97. If I was like, right, this internet thing, how does it work? I want to know what's happening behind the scenes. Rather than me just, you know, eventually I started using it and I used it and I don't feck it now. I know it, I just Google stuff. I don't know behind the scenes, but people get, how does Bitcoin work? I need to know. You can know and understand and get hung up on all this technical stuff and like trying to understand the commuter science, you know, the operational, the incentive structure behind it, which I find interesting. But the analogy I used to explain that is I'm into cars and motorbikes. Okay, I've raced motorbikes, I've built my own engines, I understand the physics that what makes converts petrol into mm. making that back wheel turn around and everything that happens in that chain. And I can put it together and build it. And I have a car and I have a key and I turn it. Well, I don't, so you leave the key in the car, whatever, you push the button and the car drives. And it's better than walking. Okay, my wife hasn't got a clue. She knows the petrol goes in there, the key goes in there, and she drives it and it's better than walking. So she gets all the benefits of a car, but has no clue if that car stops working. I get a phone call, she, yeah. you know, so while, while it's nice to understand and initially maybe in the early days of when the, when, when the uh, horse and cart was being replaced by the car, people were like, well, what makes it go and how does it do that? And it is scary. What if this happens? Cars are dangerous, you know, and, and that's where we are with Bitcoin now, just because we're so early in the technology that people are being hung up on the, on the technicals and not just saying, well, learn to use it. And uh, maybe you don't need to know all that. And if you do, go and study it. It's really cool. But don't let it be your barrier to entry that you don't understand computer science, that you can, you know, understand how actually Bitcoin works. Because, like, you know, but because it's new, you're right. Because it's new, we don't have to trust. And that just takes time, Shane. You know, it does yeah. just take time. Yeah. Now, with that in mind, okay, because I'm gonna we could we can unpack this all day, but we're gonna wrap it up very shortly because I'll definitely have you on again because we could talk all day. There's so much stuff outside <laughs> of your Bitcoin life we could talk about, like your what you do for fun and all that. But we'll get to that someday. I know you're into motor sports and cars, and I see you have a nice flash car as well. You know, I'm not gonna talk about that. That's not important for this podcast. But what I want to talk about is, say, someone's listening to the podcast today uh, um, and are looking to get involved in Bitcoin. Um, how would they reach you in particular? Okay, awesome. I'm glad you asked that. Not because I want to shield, but I want to I wanted to <laughs> actually give give people some protection. Go. Okay. I'm a Bitcoin. I'm very passionate about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency because it's a great way to protect your wealth and it's also a great way to build your wealth. You know, in, in legacy investing, which like I invest in equities, I invest in precious metal, I own a gold coin. Okay. So I invest in other asset classes, but I'm most exposed to crypto because I see it as the fastest horse in the race. It's been described as. It, to me, it's the fastest way to generate wealth. It's the emergence of an asset class. So that's, you know, again, my time is most important. I pay most attention to things that's going to be, give me the biggest returns, okay? However, fiat currency, it's not all bad. Euros are great, you know, and they have amazing properties, 
you know, I don't see us moving to a Bitcoin as a currency, certainly not for maybe 30 years, perhaps. It doesn't need to do that. Bitcoin mm. can still be valued at 10 million per Bitcoin and not be a currency. No problem. Easy. Uh, and most people, not, sorry, most people is terrible. <laughs> most people I talk to maybe, but a lot of people in crypto see Bitcoin as being, you know, a seven to eight figure valuation within yeah. a decade. And that's why I say to people, buy a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. But the fiat system protects people. My parents got scammed there a couple of months ago, you know, and the money was taken from their account and to some scammers. But the fiat system protected them that the bank were able to go and withdraw the money from the scammers account and give it back to my parents. And that's one of the fantastic things that we have in our legacy system. Cryptocurrency doesn't have them protections yet. I'd say they'd be bent in some way because it's cash in a digital world. So if you get scammed in crypto, there's no way of recovering those funds. So when people come, the last thing I want to do is talk about crypto, get people all, oh yeah, I need to have this. And then from go and lose their money. Crypto is full of scams. It's full of people like, I don't trade people's money. I don't take people's money. If, if ever I'm messaging you, offering an, an instance of when I can help you make money, be assured it's not me. It's someone impersonating me. Anyone can set up a crypto with Dini Facebook profile. I ban 10 of them a day. There are hundreds of Dinis on social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Instagram is the same. Mm. There's multiple crypto with Dinis with slightly different spellings in their name. Now, Facebook, you don't even have to have a different spelling in your name. So if anyone, so just be aware of that stuff. And it's the same with any crypto influencer. You set, you set, you uh, connect to it. Like Rule Pal, he's a billionaire. He speaks and advises presidents. But he personally takes time out of his day to message me to see how my portfolio is doing. Like, clearly, it's not a real pal. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I just yeah. like to, 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 to warn people about that. that. Um, what I do in Crypto with Dini is education. I teach people everything I've learned over the years. I've invested a lot of money into my own education, into my crypto education. I've studied with, you know, I've studied with, I've done internships with Simon Dixon, the first investment banker in, uh, in crypto and Bitcoin. Um, safety in a moose. He's wrote the Bitcoin standard, which is essentially the Bitcoin Bible. Like, I, you know, for me, I see it as investing. If I can pay money to get trained by these people who are literally the experts in this area, I'm going to get a good return on my money. So with crypto with Dini, I just I do a couple of courses. Uh, I do a free Bitcoin basic. So if people are interested, like, oh, I wouldn't want to learn a bit more. I'll break down a bit more structure and uh, get you an understanding of Bitcoin. It's a free course. I just I do it because I'm passionate about it. Obviously, full disclosure, I've paid products. I have a Bitcoin bootcamp, which actually brings people through the process of how you set up. Like I, what I teach is in crypto. <clears throat> Again, I'm a risk manager. There's yeah. two ways you can operate in crypto. High speculation. Get rich quick, buy what we call shit coins or altcoins. You know, and some altcoins are great, but unfortunately, retail people, normal people, a lot of advertising comes at them and they get shielded and their friends tell them okay. to buy whatever and they lose all their money. It goes up, it goes down. Okay. I teach people how to build what I call a, you know, a pension plan. Build this little thing on the side, dollar cost average into it, that protects you against the volatility. Okay. You're able to buy the dips, you're able to buy, you know, your dollar cost averaging. You're averaging out your entry. So I teach people how to build a retirement plan. So it's more like a medium term plan. And it's a minimum when I'm coaching people, this is a minimum of four year plan. And there's a reason for that Bitcoin's halving. We haven't touched on that, but we, I won't go down there because I need a few minutes to go down there. <laughs> but uh, if anyone's interested in value on Bitcoin, look at the halving. And that's why, you know, we predict these silly numbers in the future. That's why we were able to predict these silly numbers, you know, five years ago that we've got to today. <clears throat> but uh, so I teach people the pension plan. Um, so it's called my Bitcoin, um, Bootcamp, and then obviously I do one-on-one -on -one consulting as well, where you know I go through people want more individual help in uh, in building their 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 plan. That's sort of what I do. So it's all education. I never take people's money. It's just purely education. But uh, I'm on all the social medias. Again, beware if you follow me, scammers will will be. But uh, check out my website. I do have five things to know before you buy Bitcoin and crypto. Yeah. Uh, once you hit the website, crypto with Dini, 
Bitcoin.com. Uh, and, and check out the Bitcoin Basics as well. It's free. Next one is Thursday, the uh, the third, the, the, the third, maybe if it's the third, third, third of Feb, uh, which are, I suppose, defending when they're consuming this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we go out soon. Yeah, Dinny, that's, um, it was great to talk to you. Honestly, I could talk all day, you, uh, I could talk all day about life, about Bitcoin, but maybe we'll hold that off for another podcast. Just give them a little a taste of Dinny and then we'll get you on again yeah. okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right Dinny I'm gonna let you go um we'll talk to you soon I'll, I'm, I'll definitely get you on again because I think as you said there's a lot more to unpack we didn't get there today but we got I, I we give it you give give the listeners a taster and we'll get you on again and we'll talk to you in about a few more a few more months time and see see where you're at and uh, see yeah big light to shame yeah grand Bye-bye. See you, man. Bye bye. <laughs> See you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks. Uh, that was Diddy Collins. Yeah, Diddy Collins. Fascinating uh, to hear about like Bitcoin. Again, someone who doesn't invest in Bitcoin, and I know a lot of people who don't. But again, it's fascinating to learn about you know how he got into Bitcoin, and maybe you could learn something. And if you want to get in touch with him, I'll I'll put the link up on the podcast uh, Instagram page in the future. Now, once again, my name is Shane. This podcast called Heartlines. And remember, you're always welcome here on Heartlines. Take it easy and bye-bye.